0: Good, you're better than a movie I hate. Thanks for that. I'm as mad as hell,
1: and I'm not gonna take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that.
2: We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes.
0: Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. Let's put a smile on
2: that face.
0: You're only as healthy as you feel.
1: Listen to
2: me! Listen to you about what right? Because I
1: have a right to be and and I have a voice!
0: Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Pop Culture Case
2: Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let the healing begin.
0: All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So it's time for our new release review. We just went over... uh, ben affleck's uh, first directorial effort gone baby gone so now we're looking at ewan mcgregor's first directorial effort in american pastoral and uh for once it's not mike's fault that he's not here it was not playing anywhere near him so he could not uh unfortunately he could not see american pastoral but uh as always like the, the always dependable backup I have, I have ben zook here uh to talk american pastoral so thanks for being here
1: I think dependable, you know, that's that's uh, uh, debatable. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, hi. Good to be here. Awesome. So let's just uh, jump into this. So uh,
0: I, I made the mistake, I think, of reading the book uh, before I saw the movie. What is your kind of level of knowledge about American Pastoral and Philip Roth as an author?
1: Well, it's interesting. Um, so the only reason I saw the movie was because I was traveling and I ended up with a big layover in Chicago. And I decided, you know, with my six hours that I would go and see American Pastoral. And I actually had the audiobook on my phone and I was planning on, on, you know, listening to it uh, on the way back uh, home. And so I ended up seeing the movie before reading the novel. Uh, and it's very interesting in that regard. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious. So. Like, what goes into... When you choose a movie like this, when you choose the new releases that you put on your show, (laughs) is there sort of a thought process to it, or is it just... You know, whatever's out. <laughs> it could be argued there's
0: a thought process. Um, basically what I do is I look at the movies that are going in wide release or supposedly going in wide release according to the very uh, very dependable, again, internet, uh, which is not dependable at all. So really the only choices this week were American Pastoral and Inferno, and I saw that trailer enough to never want to see Inferno. So, uh, well, Okay, was... well, I can, I can fill
1: you in. I can fill you in. I saw Inferno. <laughs> Great. Right. Uh, you know, you know. I think I think people who enjoy those movies know what they're getting, and I, I certainly right. knew what I was getting. Um, so, uh, just to give you a little mini review, I really enjoyed Inferno. But see, I made hard. the wrong choice. I... So, <laughs> and if I was chasing numbers, I should have just gone with Medea. That's the big hit. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. week. So... I, I told I told all about Medea, and he just he just looked at me like I was crazy, and I was I was right. Yep. It always makes money. Like every year we're so surprised that Tyler
0: yes. Perry makes money. But there it is. Uh, so, so American Pastoral. So here are my general thoughts about it. Uh, and I'm tr- I am was trying to put myself in the place of someone who had never read the book. So it would be interesting to see uh, – to kind of hear what, what you had to say when you first saw the movie. And to me it felt like an extremely middle-of-the-road-to-bad movie that was melodramatic – uh, but having read the book, it was borderline insulting how bad it was because it was so it was such a shallow take on a very deep story. There's a lot of contextual levels to the book, as you get with works of literature, that sometimes it's hard to kind of fold into a movie in two hours and change. Uh, so that those were my kind of original thoughts as I walked out of the theater. What about you?
1: So, yeah, this is going to be really funny. Um, so I can completely understand that perspective uh, because this book is not an easy book. That it's not the kind of book that you're going to read and you're going to say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I can totally no. see that as a movie." <laughs> the opposite. Uh, and I, maybe it's maybe it's because of the girl on the train uh, recently, and that was mm-hmm. like that was like a book where I was like, "Yeah, that could very easily be a movie and turn out really well," and, and they did everything wrong. And then I look <laughs> at this, and I'm kind of on a, a big part of me is just impressed that they even tried. <laughs> After yep. after having read the book, I actually finished the finished the book last night, um, and it, it yeah. So the first thing is this whole weird framing device with the David Strathern character. Right, he's playing Zuckerman, and so he's the narrator, but he doesn't really know the main character. Uh, Swede Lvov right. and, he, and then in the movie they don't really set it up well enough for you to know that he's getting the story from Swede Lvov's brother you get that more clearly in the book and even in yes. the book it's not meant to be, it's sort of an unreliable narrator situation right. where he's kind of, you don't know if he's making up stuff or, or not and the, you can't really, that doesn't really work in a movie, Uh, they no. certainly don't even try to do it um, and so it's funny because this is a movie that was like in development hell for like several years. And I think it was supposed to be Philip Noyce yep, originally directed. Yep. And then McGregor stepped in at the last minute when Noyce dropped out. And the one element I think that really failed everyone here isn't isn't McGregor and it isn't the cast I don't think and it isn't you know I think the film was very very well shot and everything I think the one element that really let everyone down is the script by oh. by John Romano who no I'm assuming question. is not related to Ray, Ray Romano uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the that's
0: the sitcom I want to see that's <laughs> The Brothers Romano yes <laughs>
1: We might get into it a little bit more, but I'm really – when we get into your spoiler territory section and all that, but I'm really surprised by some of the the changes that they made having finished the book last night. Um, It seems Mm -hmm. like very major integral stuff is just kind of left off the table. And then other stuff is just like covered completely, like point by point by point. Right. Um, And so
0: (laughs) – yeah, I just think, like, as I was reading the book, like, because I only read it because I, um, you know, I saw the trailers for the movie and the trailers weren't great, but I was just kind of like, okay, I'm interested in this. And then I did some research on what the book was. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning book. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll check this out. Uh, and as I read it, I just felt this increasing sense of dread. <laughs> it's like, oh god, this is not going to work at all. Uh-huh, like, I cannot uh-huh. possibly see a way that this is filmable unless you just tell the very basic narrative story, which is the shallowest level, which is essentially what they did. I also felt like – I thought Ewan McGregor was – fine. I think he was hes a perfectly capable director. He doesn't do anything amazing, but he doesn't fuck it up either. And honestly, that's not – That's not an insult. There are a lot of directors who can't even do that. Uh So he was perfectly capable. There's nothing terribly wrong with what he did. But I do feel like he was miscast as the Swede character. Like, I just think that it's hard to kind of talk about this without talking about the book a lot. But in the book, he's like kind of this blank slate, this all American corn fed four star athlete. And Ewan McGregor just doesn't fit that. Like, I think his acting is fine he, with what he's given. He does. He does great. But he, I just don't think he fits that character at all. The person I feel worse for actually is Dakota Fanning. Like, I thought she was actually very, very good in this film and no one's ever going to know it.
1: <laughs> I, I, have, I have problems with her performance. Actually. Really? I, re, I actually like the I liked the, the, you know, the unknown actress who played the younger version. Of oh, yeah. Mary's she was very daughter. good as well. Yeah, um, I think I think Fanning's performance is weird because so so she's playing the daughter and she has a stutter and it's meant to be kind of ambivalent whether or not you know her stutter is real right. or not. Well, my problem is that I and I, I had I had problems with her performance and I felt very very outside of it and I had to really struggle mm. you know to to come to terms of why that was and what I ultimately ended up landing on was that I don't think Dakota Fanning herself made a choice. In terms of whether or not mm. the stutter was real, whether it's organic um, not, or whether yeah. it's psychological, and yeah. So she just, you, you just kind of see it, like take from take from take. She's kind of going back and forth with it, and I don't, I don't know if that was the best choice to make. Um, so I, but I've heard other people say they think she's great in this. Uh, so maybe I'm, I'm all alone on that. Um, <laughs> what I think is really missing from the novel is Philip Roth's, you know, voice of of anger. Yeah. Um, you, you get a lot of tragedy happening in this movie, but you don't really get. The uh, anger that comes through just in the tone of, of uh, the way Roth writes. And yep. so McGregor playing the Swede here, he is, a lot of stuff's happening to him, and he's not necessarily at fault. And so in the movie, when you don't get any sort of con- context to any of the, uh, that stuff that's happening, it's just sort of like, wow, this guy's just trying so hard and <laughs> Sucks all this to be that guy <laughs> to him. Um, and you did. And I, yeah, so it, it, it is sort of a weird um, adaptation in that regard, just sort of like point by point of stuff happening. Right. And at the end of the day, at, at the end of the day, it does feel like more like a melodrama than anything else. And I don't think that's what they set out to do. And I don't think that's what Philip Roth set out to do either. Um, the, the really integral scene that I think is missing from the book is this uh, conversation that Swede has with his brother um, after uh, after finding out about Mary, um, you know, who, who goes missing at some point in the novel uh, and in and, and the movie. And so I think without that scene, you really kind of miss a whole lot of the commentary on like the perfect American family and all right. that stuff. Uh, I mean, this
0: is is exactly what I'm getting at, is what you're bringing up. Both the lack of anger and this lack of context, it makes a big story small. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Philip Roth does so well in his book, is in essence, what you're seeing is a small story, but it's indicative of kind of the big story of America in the 60s. Like, this is such a huge story, and without that context, I mean, the idea that – in the beginning, we see, in the beginning of the book, we see Swede as this kind of all American. Everything's perfect. He's a four star athlete in four sports. He, uh, he marries literally a beauty queen. They have a kid. Like everything is perfect. It is the American pastoral. It's the perfect symbol of the American dream. But underneath, it's kind of rotting away. And that's the whole idea of that. And you don't get that context. He uh-huh. stays that picture perfect person throughout, basically throughout the entire film. Like you, you still, you're still getting the view of Swede that our narrator got in high school. We're not getting the real story. And that's, it's sad because I feel like people who read this book are going to hate this movie. People yeah. who didn't read this book except for you, apparently are not going to want to read the book (laughs) because I don't think it has anything there where you're like, I got to see why this was made.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I mean, that's happened before. I think if you look at the other movies that are based off of Philip Roth, Roth's novels, they very few of them have have actually worked. Um, The only one that I like uh, is Elegy which is kind of obscure. Not a lot of people saw it, uh, but I really like that film. Um, There's a weird movie called Goodbye Columbus from 1969, which is a very strange film as well. Uh, It it got an Oscar nomination for its screenplay. Uh, It's kind of forgotten now. Um, And then what else? The Human Stain. Indignation came out this year. OK, so that's my compliment that I'm going to give to American Pastoral is that I would watch American Pastoral oh. 10 times before wanting to watch Indignation again. Wow. Uh, I, ha- I, hate- I hate that character. I hate the protagonist in Indignation and I hate the camera coverage they got with particularly <laughs> that long scene with Tracy Letts. Uh, and, and they've got such bizarre camera coverage Hmm. where they're in like wide shots where Logan Lerman and then Tracy Letts are like at the center of the frame in the middle and and really bizarre choices in that film. Yeah. Um, that's the best, that's the nicest thing I can say uh, about (laughs) American Festival, I guess. Good. You're better than a movie I hate. Thanks (laughs) for that. (laughs) I also felt like
0: I, you know, granted sometimes my reading comprehension isn't the best but there was a scene uh with jennifer connelly in this movie of like where she kind of she has a breakdown later in the mm-hmm. film and she basically appears naked on the screen was
1: that in the book anywhere yeah it is okay well, 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 well wait okay no um that isn't but it's alluded to
0: right and it felt it, like purposefully salacious to me and like I, I just didn't like that moment in the film. I was just kind of like, why, why are we going here? There's no, there's no reason we have to do more than allude to it or have him take care of her.
1: My my real problem with it is that then the scene in the hospital that she has with with her husband, um, I, I I feel like they played that up to be too 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 big uh, yeah. emotionally. I feel like I agree. the things she was saying are hurtful enough are right. you know, damning enough that they don't really they didn't really need to make it this big gigantic histrionic scene, and I was really happy just to see Jennifer Connolly in a movie and I don't think she's bad or anything no. it just felt it just felt underserved um she and, just doesn't and have a lot to work with with her that I like uh you know so <laughs> right,
0: yeah, so here's the other thing that I was thinking during the entire film is I think. One of the the genius decisions that Philip Roth made is to not tell this story in chronological order. Um, I think it because it starts off being about one character, so you start to vilify other characters in his family for the things that they've done, or you see them as cold or distant or not fully Mm -hmm. formed characters. And then as it flips and you see more of those individuals' lives, whether it be his wife or his daughter or his brother, you start to understand who they are and why they've made the decisions they made, and you get none of that here. So the emotional impact is null and void. Like you don't actually care that much when these horrible emotional things happen, because it doesn't, you don't get that kind of bombshell that you do as you're reading the book, where you're like, oh, I've been looking at this person all wrong and just from one perspective. So to tell it in this very stereotypical kind of point A to point Z style really robs the story of its power to me.
1: To be fair, though, I really don't think the structure the way it is in the book would work in a, in a film. Um, That's and true. I'm kind of glad they didn't try that. Like, for example, I just wish the they didn't scene- try. <laughs> <laughs> completely- for example, though, there's a scene between Jennifer Connolly and uh Lavov's father in in the movie and in the book, and she's making the case to his father why she should be you know his wife. Um, right. basically. And they're going over things like, oh, are our children going to be raised Catholic or, or Jewish, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's that scene happens in the last chapter of, of the book. Yeah. Um, so like, like there are certain things he, he does structurally that just wouldn't work at all. And that's why I think it was kind of ambitious for anyone to try and make this into a new movie, let alone a first time uh, director, uh, let alone someone stepping into this role at the very last minute, <laughs> right. from what I understand, uh, and so it didn't work. Uh, there, <laughs> like there's no. there are scenes and moments in this movie that I like, but overall I'm not going to say it's, it was successful or, or satisfying in any way. Uh, but I respect I respect that they, I respect you know the the effort that was put into it. Right,
0: just a pat on the back. Good try, guys. We appreciate the effort, but <laughs> I, I, it didn't I, really work. I,
1: I wanna, I want to see Ewan McGregor direct another film. Like, like the fact that he was able to make this into, I don't know, the fact that he had, there were scenes in this movie that were engaging uh, and had me, you know, like hooked into it and everything. Uh, that that speaks to, to you know, to, to the work that he put into it. And I, I hope that it doesn't become sort of a, Oh, how you know uh, how how terrible that this guy tried this kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things where you know, as you say, it it doesn't work. I don't I don't think it's a good movie. I think it's a it's a borderline bad movie. It's kind of like the bottom of average, right? Like just this <laughs> kind of like mm, okay, but it's not because of McGregor. And I think I think when I kind of saw the reviews, that's the kind of reaction mm-hmm. that people yeah. are having. Like, oh, it's all his fault. And one, he didn't start out as the director. He stepped in and kind of. in in a lot of ways, probably save this movie because no director is, like, most directors won't want to direct American Pastoral anyway, (laughs) if they were the book, like, no, thank you, I'm good, Um, let alone come in after someone has left and try and kind of pick up the pieces with this cast that they had nothing to do with. Uh, So he kind of saved this movie and got it made, you know, for better or worse. But I don't think the movie got worse because he directed it. I don't he, think he's
1: probably he's probably worried about getting paid if, if no <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs>
0: <laughs> I gotta get my fee so yeah I'll, I'll go buy well, the camera so think
1: about it, it's like I've invested yeah. all this time and, and effort in this role and and I was gonna get paid x amount of money and now oh nothing oh yeah. man I don't want to do that um, but, but the direction so...
0: wasn't so bad that I thought like oh I hope he never directs again like I think he shows at least a tiny bit of promise and I think that should be fostered and give him another chance maybe a simpler story yeah maybe something more straightforward than fucking philip roth are you kidding me like the and if you've read the book it's so dense I there's know. so much material and you're like you know i could see this and uh, many reviewers have said this but i could see this being a mini series, like yeah. a nine or ten hour like tv miniseries but not not this this is this is two like two hours and ten minutes is not enough to tell the story of a decade like that's I mean it's it's a challenge like uh, not only is it dense but there's there's some things in the book that of course they take out which I knew they had to like there's a whole like vision of Angela Davis like going on in the uh-huh. in the in the book and you're like how do you even and I think the the real big weakness of this film other than just the structure of it that doesn't really work for me is I don't think you get a sense of the passage of time in this movie Everything seems to happen back to back. Like the only clues you get are like, oh, well, uh, Mary's older now, so Mm -hmm. that's it. But you don't really feel this decade of the 60s pass. And you really do get that in the book. Like you really feel the time pass, whereas here it's just like, and now we're doing this scene because why not?
1: And so so much of the book I think is observational. It's just Philip Roth – You know, giving you the the context and the commentary, uh, you know, through like through Zuckerman as the character, as the narrator, and and that doesn't really that wouldn't really work, uh, you know, in a movie. I'm glad that we saw less of Zuckerman, uh, the David Strathern character, uh, because I really don't think that would have worked at all. Um, So, I mean, I I, all I can really continue to say is is what I've been saying, which is which is you know, it didn't work, uh, (laughs) but but good effort. Good try, kid. All right, so let's, uh, except, let's except John Romano. John Romano can go to hell. Yeah, right?
0: <laughs> I'm. I'm not fighting that. Not at all. Not after watching that movie. All right, so let's uh, jump to spoilers really quickly to to make sure we've kind of covered everything we want to talk about.
2: Spoilers. What? Read ahead. Spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end. Isn't traveling with you one big spoiler?
0: That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. So I feel like you kind of danced around a couple topics earlier. You were kind of talking about, hmm. you know, Mary going on the run. And basically what's happened is she gets radicalized during the Vietnam War and puts a bomb in the local post office and ends up killing someone
1: uh, with this explosion. Uh, so so what did you— You, want know, what to- I, you know what I hated? <laughs> Please tell me. I can't wait. We probably could have put this in your regular section. Um, I hated that they used, uh, hey, Hey, what's that sound? uh, Oh, me too. I was like, this is so stereotypical. Like, this is like
0: the counterculture song. Like, it was like, it felt like a placeholder song that they never changed. Like, they're like, yeah, we'll put something like this here, but not that, obviously, because that would be ridiculous. But I was like, oh.
1: There's so much great countercultural cu- counterculture songs from the 1960s oh, yeah. that I wonder why filmmakers feel compelled to use the same stuff over and over again it's to tragic. symbolize the Vietnam War and, and all that. Um, and then, so yeah, so she goes on the run. And for the most part, that middle section of the movie is is pretty much fine, I think. There's not a whole, I mean, it's I, I felt somewhat compelled in terms of what, McGregor was, was finding out and what he was going through, um, this Rita Cohen character who pops up and he, th- you know, thinks she's connected to his daughter and all that. Um, what doesn't work and I didn't realize it till I read the book was that after McGregor's character finds his daughter, he's supposed to like call his brother and that's what happens in the book. And his brother basically deconstructs, you know, his whole life Right. And, you know, you get all that anger from Philip Roth and all that. And since it's not in the movie, uh, it's just sort of left with a, you know, well, damn, that's a shame kind of thing. Right. Uh, like it's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes everything simple. The interesting thing that they took out,
0: I, I think, unless I like blacked out for two minutes during this movie, which, let's be real, is totally possible, uh, is the idea that the, the Swede ends up cheating on his wife as well. Uh-huh. Like, they, there's nothing about that in the film. And it, like, to me, ends up vilifying his wife. Yeah. You know, I think in the book, you it's one more way you get more understanding of, of his wife, of this idea that, like, okay, she cheated on him and that's bad. But look, he's doing something similar and he has this connection with this woman, which makes that moment where he basically kind of attacks her in her office so affecting. And here you're like, what is the – I mean, I, yeah, it's – you're – your daughter's therapist i guess but what's the what's the connection here and in the book there is definitely a physical and emotional connection between Mm -hmm. the two of them and i was like why take that out of all the things i think it you know it makes it makes the the wife out to be just this this harpy this terrible woman who is like breaking down on him and hates him and is now cheating on him and it seemed you know a little odd at best
1: Again it's just more of this whole oh you know all this stuff is happening to this guy and he right. seems so perfect um and you know like like the, the the book is is very dry and intellectual and almost similar to revolutionary road mm-hmm. you know trying to make all this commentary about american society and american lives and american families and you really do lose a lot of that in just this sort of like sense of, you it, know, it, it's like a book of Job type story, uh, like a, like a serious man again, with with all this stuff just keeps happening to this <laughs> seemingly perfect guy, and and the other thing. Um, in the novel they they talk about how the how the swede's brother was who ended up turning in uh Mary who 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 never gets gets arrested or anything um right. in the movie and so that's strange as well uh and so this whole ending with the funeral is so melodramatic oh yeah god um, i just so i just remembered that as you were book. talking
0: about it and how angry i got in the theater and i was like what what are we doing like this kind of pseudo mysterious Mary showing up at the funeral of her dad like it made like i think the last lines of the book are something about like there is yeah. there's no there's no story so horrible as the story of the lavubs and it's very dark and very messed up and it's not a happy ending at all and i felt like this was trying to wrap this all up with a bow like yeah all this bad stuff did happen but look even he's yeah, dead now, yeah. but they're together again. Isn't that sweet? And I was and like, everyone's
1: there's a, everyone's in old age makeup and like, oh, God,
0: terrible Connelly. old age makeup. Uh, I know. And, and
1: it wasn't even consistent. Like Jennifer Connolly looked so much younger than everyone else. And it, it was very strange. Uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, is a terrible, terrible ending. Like, I, I mean, I get yeah. kind of not wanting to end it like Roth did because it is like a fucking downer. <laughs> like, and it's, and you're not sure what actually happens at the end because again, you have this unreliable yeah. narrator. Like, who really does this? It's all set at the dinner table and it ends in a very weird place, um, but works in a literary sense. So I get wanting to change it, but what they changed it to, like, kind of denies everything that this story is about. It makes it a happy ending, and I was kind of disgusted with the ending of this movie.
1: It takes a lot of the power out of it, and you're just kind of left feeling, you know, like you like you didn't get the whole thing, in all honesty. Even, right. even you know, watching the movie, I, I was, like, feeling there has to be something more to this. Like, I mean, there's no way this book would have won the Pulitzer and everything if right. it was just a story of this guy and all this shit happens to him, and then his daughter shows up at, at, at his funeral, and that's it. Like, clearly, you know, there has to be something more to it. Um, so I wasn't surprised when I when I read the book and I found out all the other stuff they had taken out. Uh, I just wonder why they did that, and I wonder I don't know if any director could have really pulled this off. The one person I've been thinking about is, who I think would have been interesting um, I think Jace, J C Chandor would oh, have given yeah. a interesting take on it. But but other than that, like I'm like I'm imagining what like Martin Scorsese would have done with this, and mm. and I still think <laughs> it would have failed. Yeah, it would have been terrible. Um, and so like it's hard for me to be that harsh. Uh, on you know the filmmakers themselves because I feel like you know even just to even just to attempt to do it was, was kind of crazy. So. I just wonder like who
0: reads this script and goes yeah this looks great.
1: <laughs> it's they, had, they had like six years too where right. where they didn't where they had directors coming in and out and dropping and draw you know dropping it and uh, coming back to it and, and they never you know changed the script uh, or or I don't know maybe they did uh, like. <laughs>
0: it's just it's it's like just from a a script perspective like just looking at what happens in in the film and reading the book you're like oh you didn't you don't get it (laughs) you don't understand what this story is actually about you think this story is about oh poor sweet love look at all these bad things that happened to him and that is not what this is about like it is about really big of really big events in american culture it's not about just this poor guy who runs a a glove factory.
1: (laughs) It's a a deconstruction of, you know, the idea of the perfect American family and everything. And you don't, you don't get that from this movie. And that's a shame. Uh, but, you know, I, I I don't know. I'm still I'm still a little bit more uh, in defense of it than, than you are.
0: <laughs> oh, so you mentioned earlier you mentioned in the review there were there were certain scenes that really worked for you. So what were those moments that worked for you in American Pastoral?
1: Uh, You know, I really I really like the early scene between uh, Swede and his daughter in the truck uh, that that is that is in the novel Um, where I where mean, our- kind
0: of. Well, they, I don't like them
1: that way. I mean, they, I don't like- no, no, no. I mean,
0: they really, they really took the bite out of that scene too. In what way? Well, there was like a lingering kiss in the book that he blames himself for throughout the entire book, and is like, "Did I ruin my child?" Did still,
1: I i still i thought i i I still felt like the I still got from that scene what I think you were supposed to get that they oh. that they had had a weird uh connection that a father and daughter you know wouldn't normally have and that I'm she surprised yourself I'm surprised for, that, for that that
0: came through because I, and again I cannot put myself in the place that you were in because I had read the book. Yeah, I, I, uh, but and, it, was, it was such a weird kind of disturbing scene. Like even as I'm reading it the first time I'm going, oh, wow, I didn't know we were going into Lolita territory. What is happening well, here?
1: Yeah, I, I like that. I like that they, you know, uh, you know, kept it in there and everything. And, you know, uh, I mean, for me, like watching this movie without having read the book, uh, I was quite surprised by that early scene. It really tells you early on. Uh, that you know the the subject matter here is not going to be something that makes you feel comfortable right and that 's fine um the other scene I like I like this the first scene with Rita cohen uh where um, you know, where he creates a glove for her that she mm. has to put on, and and, he, and she has to like uh open and close her hand really slowly and tell her all that, and then and then the way that ends with with <laughs> this the um she wants her Audrey Hepburn scrapbook back. Uh, you know that was a good that was a good moment. Yeah, Why, like caught me off guard. So
0: yeah, that worked. I found it interesting that they they seem to throw in a couple scenes with. Quote unquote, Rita Cohen, uh, who that weren't in the book, like these kind of extra kind of dramatic Mm -hmm. moments where instead of via a phone call, they meet in some dark alley, you know, and I I thought like, well, I don't know. I don't know kind of how I feel about this. Like I but I can see that phone calls don't work as well cinematically as they do on the printed yeah, page. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we we talked about this year Sully, where you have just women relegated to phone calls, and they're not exactly exciting uh, on a on a movie screen. So I could see why they did it, but it, it did, like, kind of, you know, make me tilt my head to the side. Like, what is the purpose of this, other than to kind of create mood and tension?
1: Well, that's fine, though. That's fine. I mean, that's yeah. what yeah, you're going to a movie to see. Uh, and so I completely understand those choices. Um, it's, it's the stuff that they do later that, that I think kind of ruins it, so. Yeah. All right,
0: uh, yeah. So don't see this movie; it's a waste of your fucking time. Uh, <laughs> don't bother. But
1: but but do give Owen McGregor another chance. Yeah, yeah, someday. absolutely.
0: And read the book. The book is great. There's a great audio book which Mike and I talked about uh, when we were leading up to this. That's narrated by Ron Silver. It's fantastic, and it's that's the
1: one I that's the one I had.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's totally worth your time. So definitely check that out. Uh, so uh, thanks, Ben, for uh, filling in again. I appreciate it. You're the one person who could actually see this movie. So <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to take a little break and then bring in Brit for Fangirl Fixation to talk about what's coming out this week.
1: This is Chris Maynard. I'm host of the following film's podcast. Every week I discuss a current release with one of the creative forces behind the film. Whether it's Giles Nutkins talking Heller Highwater, high Leah Thompson discussing her work on Trouble with the Truth. Or Jeremy Sandy chatting about his work on Deepwater Horizon. You can find our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you find podcasts. <laughs> Better yet, you can go to followingfilms.com, check out our latest episode, get some film news, reviews, and all sorts of goodness. Uh, that was my son, Jacob. He says hello, and he really wants you to check out the show.
0: All right, so it's time for another episode of Fangirl Fixation with Brit. Say hello, Brit,
2: for this dark and stormy night.
0: That is not a hello in any sense.
2: It's an intro, so many sentences.
0: Yeah, it's. it's I think like that intro has been done.
2: From, a hello from a book.
0: <laughs> a and hello then, from too many books. I'm yes. just gonna
2: like, you know, educate these people a little, give them some literacy. Oh,
0: is that, is that what this is? Mixing it up. Okay. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we jump into the three movies uh, that are coming out this week?
2: Booze is great.
0: Booze is great. We're drinking booze that uh, Britt made. It's perfect because it's raining outside. Yes, it does rain in California from time to time.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and so what did you make us? What am I poisoning my liver with?
2: Apples. That's so, not the part that
0: poisons the liver.
2: No. Uh. Well, I mean, the one thing is an alcoholic apple. Speak. So it's a uh, salted caramel sauce with the Trader Joe's spiced apple cider, uh Red's green apple ale, and then um two ounces of caramel vodka.
0: yeah, pretty tasty. that's all I know. it's delicious yeah uh so uh I head on it so we <laughs> so we have three movies coming out, so the first one of course, looks like a a new modern classic uh, that we just watched. The trailer, too.
2: Oh, I was like, Uh, I don't even know where you're going with this, so...
0: (laughs) Uh, Trolls comes out this week, starring the voices of Justin Timberlake and Anna Kendrick and Zoe Deschanel and Gwen Stefani and James Corden, and it looks horrible. Like, it makes the trailer for Storks look like it should win an award.
2: It should have. (laughs) Baby powder. Baby powder,
0: yeah. Uh, So what did you think of this trailer, Brett?
2: Well, as many of you know, I love animated films. You do. I drag Dave to shit like sausage party.
0: You're a terrible person, is what you're saying right now.
2: You can stick flaming hot bamboo sticks under my fingernails before I watch this.
0: I feel like you said something similar uh, last week. Did what I? Movie? Yeah, we were talking about uh, that that comedy with uh, John Hamm. Oh
2: God, <laughs> are you sure it was under my fingernails? I might have said in my eyes. It, it might have been. It might have been your eyes. The severity of the movie depends on where so I stick the flaming what's hot worse? bamboo sticks
0: fingernails or eyes what's worse or what's worse trolls or uh whatever that fucking movie was called because i called it by the wrong name on the episode i called it masterminds which was the week before Uh, which was the other stupid movie we didn't
2: see uh, oh keeping up with
0: the joneses that's what the name of it was.
2: i think honestly i'd rather watch trolls over keeping up with the joneses ouch yeah this
0: is where we differ
2: i think masterminds was another one where i threatened to stick things under my fingernails and or in my eyes
0: sounds like something you would threaten yeah
2: yeah absolutely
0: yeah, I mean, it doesn't look really fun. It, it looks like kind of the same joke over and over again. And, like, the basic plot... The same plot, story
2: where Princess has to have a rude awakening.
0: Right, and that you have the basic plot of, like, this one, like, grumpy troll who's gonna, like, set her straight. And really, the grumpy voice you choose is Justin Timberlake. Like, he's so happy, there's even so when he's m- trying so not to be.
2: Right, so there's Justin Timberlake and Gwen Stefani. So there's all these people that sing... Which leads me to believe...
0: They're trying to get a soundtrack? That, that, yeah, and I'm just like...
2: <laughs> or that there's going to be singing in the movie. Probably. And you ain't penguins. You goddamn trolls. And also, I mean, I'm a little, like, I have so many questions. Like, why are some of the trolls glittery and naked and other ones are not?
0: Yeah, I got nothing. I don't know why they've made any of these decisions. None of that is clear in the trailer. And the worst why part... Why does he
2: shit cupcakes? Yeah, I don't know. Seriously. But, and what's up with a little rain cloud that pisses himself? Yeah, I.
0: it's one of those things where if you're going to make a trailer uh, and it's a comedy, it's a kid's movie, it's a comedy, you should have at least one or two moments that are genuinely funny and there's nothing here.
2: Yeah, no. Yeah.
0: Alright, so the next movie of course is Marvel's, this is like the big, big release, but we're not covering it because I just didn't have it in me to cover a Marvel movie. Because
2: Dave doesn't want me to go to a movie with a towel to sit on.
0: Oh, you're still, we're still going. Oh, okay. It's not like, I'm not, it's not like I'm not going to see uh, Doctor Strange. I was Strange. like,
2: do we have to talk about divorce so soon?
0: No. So, of course, that movie is Doctor Strange, which is actually getting really good reviews, even from reviewers who usually don't like Marvel movies. So, things are kind of looking up, maybe.
2: I, I obviously very much want to see this because Benedict Cumberbatch, but at the same time, I am really angry at the whitewashing of the movie. Mm. Um, I'm kind of getting fed up with Marvel's stance on that. It's almost as bad as DC. Like we have our token black character usually, mm-hmm. uh maybe one Asian um who winds up not actually being the ethnicity of the character, which is always very confusing. Let's have a Korean play somebody who's Japanese um because we don't want to give proper representation. So I
0: I don't think it's necessarily a proper representation thing. I think More than anything, just like anything else, it's a money thing. Like, representation is important, but I don't think that's the... I don't think Marvel's like, you know what we want to do? Misrepresent. Like, they take out... In this, I heard they took out, like, all the stuff about the Tibetan kind of background because they want to sell this movie in China. And that's not going to sell in China if you have Tibetan main characters.
2: Well, I mean, and you know I love Tilda Swinton, like, in pretty much everything she touches. Right. And, like, I am excited to see her in a Marvel movie. But, again, it's just, like, we couldn't find... Anyone of ethnicity to play that part?
0: I don't know. I think if you have an Asian person play that part, it makes me wonder, does that become like more of a stereotype? If you have the ancient one, it's like literally ancient Chinese secret. Like that's what, that's what you'd be doing. So I think it's tricky either way. Like I certainly understand wanting representation and, and saying that like this person should be of that ethnicity But I also get the fact that a lot of this is fueled by money, like everything else in Hollywood.
2: Well, yeah, but you also can't tell me that Marvel doesn't have the budget to put in an actress or an actor who has a different ethnic background. They have so much happening for them. They can afford if one movie has an But they're not
0: looking to do that. They're not looking to do any favors. They're not looking to afford something. Every movie they want to do better. That's why um, the second Avengers movie to them was such a disappointment. It made a shitload of money compared to everything else. But not compared to the first Avengers. So technically, for Marvel, that was a failure. Just like Batman vs. Superman was a failure, well, even maybe though it they made took money. out some of
2: the Joss Whedon camp.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there is that, but you know, they're not—they're not in the business, unfortunately, of representation and the business of like taking one for the team.
2: I just—it's uh, Disney. I mean, they're yeah the I,
0: biggest company around.
2: I know it—it it sounds weird coming from a small white girl, but I—you know—I would just like minorities to be more represented in Hollywood. Yeah, Especially I mean, I, in I agree. In roles that are theirs, like it's been their role for you know half a decade. Yeah, I agree. Books. I would,
0: I would too. But I think it's, I think people make the mistake, and it becomes very derivative to just be like, oh, they're racist. It's because you know not it's not saying, about no, that. I'm not
2: saying they're racist. I'm just saying they're scared.
0: Yeah, they want to make money, and they're
2: a big enough company that they should nut up and do it.
0: Yeah, that's one opinion. But for the but you also have to look at it from a. If you're looking at this from a business perspective, you never want to stand pat as a business. You always want to improve. Look and the at way how you... Luke
2: Cage is doing, though. That shut down Netflix. Yeah, it's a main character. Yeah, that's you don't have to leave your house.
0: On. You don't have to leave your house. You can sit on your couch and hit go.
2: But I'm just saying that there's proof that people want that.
0: There's there's proof that people will watch it. I don't. I don't and I think that is. I think it's different when you look at things purely from an American perspective, and when you start looking internationally. I think it's a whole different game because honestly, one of the biggest markets right now is China. And if you and if you make it a Tibetan story, you might have a lot of backlash and and Disney, Marvel, whatever conglomerate they are now. They they know all that stuff and it's shitty and I wish it was different, but they're in the business of making many, many millions of dollars, not in the business of taking one for the team. Unfortunately, but never. as far as the movie, I think the movie actually looks good. Like I, I'm shocked to say this. Better it's than the, the
2: animated one that I made you watch.
0: Oh God, that was horrible. Never, never again. Um, I'm a little uh, leery of Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent that is in the trailers. It sounds pretty fucking awful. Uh, it just sounds like I'm just going to groan through this accent so no one can tell. Uh, but I really like Chiwetel Geofor. Uh, His I heard southern really wasn't good.
2: too bad. What, in in tw- mm, it was pretty
0: bad. It was, oh, it was right. the worst accent in the movie. Like
2: it was the worst the man, accent in the movie. The but man is
0: a talented actor. Accents are not his forte. Like,
2: I it's think it's just, just not- because he has too much of a voice. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, he's too. It's he stands out too much. So when he does an accent, you're like, <laughs> not buying it. Yeah. Until uh, the Swinton, I'm sure will be wonderful because she's fucking great in everything. Like she's never been bad in anything. So. So yeah, Doctor Strange. Uh, and the last movie we're going to cover is the movie we're covering on the show, which is Hacksaw Ridge. The- this is
2: always a surprise to me because I never pay attention to him when he talks.
0: It's true. Never pay attention to me when I talk, doesn't listen to the podcast, so she has no fucking He's idea. He's real
2: mad because now I listen to another podcast, sort of.
0: Yeah, you're a horrible person. Um, no respect. Uh, so that movie, as I you mentioned, was- a
2: stogie? Was-
0: yes. Yes, I want a stogie. Uh, so, Hacksaw Ridge, of course, is directed by Mel Gibson, which I find really interesting that they don't...
2: Don't say it. They Mel don't publicize,
0: Gibson, like, on the trailers, like, from the director... Because
2: frickin' nut anti...
0: Anti-Semitic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it just says, like, from the director of Braveheart. No Mel Gibson. And I guess, Braveheart's
2: like, so old now, like, most yeah, of but this generation every, won't know it, but... I think,
0: I think people know it.
2: I, think. I, I said this generation. Yeah, like, I know,
0: I know. But, but I think it's, you know, it's an Oscar-nominated winning picture, so I think people... Know it. Stop sniffing wine corks. Get it together. i was going to um, shove
2: it up my nose. Obviously definitely.
0: So, uh, also stars Andrew Garfield, so I'm happy to see him kind of back doing dramatic work. Uh, after And like, not
2: being Spider-Man? Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I liked him as Spider-Man, but I think he's also a super talented actor uh, that I wanted to see he in more things. He
2: looks really, really skinny, like CGI uh, Chris Evans skinny in this. He
0: does not. You need to watch Captain America again before you make that comment because that looked like... He looked like a cancer patient. kind of how then, I feel
2: about oh. Andrew Garfield in this. He's
0: always skinny. He's a skinny guy. I don't
2: know. He looks like bobbly heady.
0: Yeah, but he, I think in this movie, given the fact that he's the one who's like not going to fight, he needs to look weak. He shouldn't look strong. Like, because I think,
2: you can't have somebody who's strong no, and wants to be a pacifist?
0: No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like it, it works for the film if he is that smaller guy, especially since in the trailer he gets his ass kicked by, by the rest of the crew. So it makes, it wouldn't make as much sense if he was like huge and built and intimidating. Like he should be smaller. It works for the movie.
2: I don't know. Like I'm kind of concerned that that's playing more into the, the idea that, um, if a guy isn't intimidating looking, then that means that he's going to be weak and not fight for something. Well, I mean,
0: I think it's a, it's a, it's a shortcut for sure. Um, and it, it, it makes the job of the movie a little bit easier where you don't have to, because con- people are going to make that assumption about him anyway, which is going to make it, when I'm sure he becomes a hero by the end of the film, even more affecting.
2: What's it going to do? Gain 40 pounds of muscle? Because,
0: you know. No, you're not listening to me. I think it's more affecting when he's that size if he becomes a hero. Because if you have Chris Hemsworth in that part, and then all of a sudden he's carrying guys to safety, you're like, yeah, that's like carrying a bag of flour for you. That's not impressive.
2: No, yeah, I get what you're saying. But at the same time, I, like, I think I'm just. I'm tired of things not having the envelope pushed a little bit. Like, we're just going to keep playing into the same old stereotypes, the same old, like, racist traps. Like, do something new.
0: I don't know. I think I think it's easy to fall in that trap. But I think also there's only, you know, there's been all these kind of uh, articles written about the fact that there's only, you know, there's only seven stories to be told. And it's how you tell them that makes the difference. And, yeah, we've seen stories like this before. But it doesn't mean it can't be original and can't be different.
2: But. I'm not saying that. Like, I, I, it can be original and it can be different. I'm just think I'm tired of stories that say the little guy can do it, but we don't back it up in society.
0: Well, then that's your problem with society. Well, yeah, all my story. problems are with
2: society. I didn't say <laughs> so, my problem was with the story. My problem is with representation.
0: Right, but would you rather have, like, okay, you have this complaint that, like, we always show the little guy can do it. Would you rather have a bunch of stories where, like, the six foot six, 280 pound guy could I do it? I would like the six the foot six guy it.
2: to be a bleeding heart who doesn't want to be masculine and aggressive. I mean,
0: I guess. I just think it's, I think this way is more affecting because I think it's easier to be. Masculine and aggressive when you're six foot six, which is he's gonna kind of end up having to have some aggression by the end of the movie to survive war.
2: But I think there's a lot of things that we could start breaking down, like stigmas that we could start breaking down about how men should be.
0: Yeah, and this is, I mean, I think this is an example of that. This could be an example of that. You're gonna make the hero of your story a pacifist,
2: right? But the hero of the story is a pacifist because he's small.
0: I don't think that that's the reason. I think, I think if you watch the trailer, you see that the reason is that he just believes in saving people. He believes in not hurting people. See, you're making judgments based <laughs> on the size. You're a sizist. I am <laughs> a sizist. <laughs> see, I just turned this around on you. You're angered society. Well, it's your fault. How about that? Uh, so which of these movies are you looking forward to seeing? Out of Trolls, uh, Doctor Strange, and Hacksaw Ridge.
2: Well, obviously Doctor Strange because Comic Book Geek and Bandit Cumberbatch horror. Um I do have some interest in seeing Hacksaw Ridge. It's not like on the top of my list. I'm not huge into war movies. A lot of that has right. to do with the fact that both my grandpas fought in wars and so did one of my great uncle. So I kind of have gotten enough war stories. Sure. Um, and, and also that has created a bias for me um, because I saw sure. the damage that it did to my family. Right. So um, I'm never I'm never gung ho to see a war movie, but I do think this sure. one is interesting. Like I would like to see the development of the stereotypical hoorah man and right. like how they change to like take him in as being a teammate. Right. Um, I think that was out of the trailer. That was the most affecting scene for me was when they were saying like I'm waiting. They like, were waiting for yeah. this person. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I am interested in seeing that. I do have hope that they will show growth in the other characters who are in the stereotype. Yeah. Um,
0: it seems like they will. I mean...
2: Right. But, like, like right now, like, most of my anger is, like, towards Hollywood in general. And, right. like, the constant, like, stereotyping and not trying to break out of anything.
0: Right. What about trolls?
2: <laughs> it's like you're speaking English, but I- I don't understand. The words that make
0: sense. So no on Trolls, maybe on Hacksaw Ridge, yes on Doctor Strange.
2: Yeah, Hacksaw Ridge is not something that I'm going to rush out to the theater to see, again, because of my own personal bias.
0: Right. Yeah, I'll tell you if it's good or not. Yeah, like, that's
2: usually what you do, and then I'm like, meh, okay, we'll see it when it comes out.
0: Right. All right, uh, so that's it uh, for this episode. Uh, The next time Pop Culture Case Study returns, we will be taking a look at... Bridge on the River Kwai to connect with Hacksaw Ridge.
2: Oh, oh, you see how he doesn't even ask me if there's anything else I want to say before we leave now? Is
0: there anything else you want to say before we leave?
2: We're gonna have a special episode of Fangirl Fixation all about Halloween movies because I'm making him watch a whole bunch today.
0: Alright. Alright, until next time, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch.
1: Well, you're more than welcome to come here. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I do. I do. We're, we're pro-David Hart, you know, as far as I know. So.